0: Tonight, we are going to discuss some real things. Um, I, I love Scripture because Scripture is, is a book that you know deals with w- real problems. It has real answers, I believe, uh, and we can look for some real solutions uh, in there. Um, we this past week, you know, I've had a lot of people that have came up to me and asked me a lot of different questions. Um, as a matter of fact, what we're going to talk about tonight Was what we were going to actually talk about in two weeks? Well, a week from tonight, Uh, we're going to talk about why does a good God allow suffering? Uh, Because I know that some of us have wrestled with that. Um, You know, I'll I'll share with you a little bit um, as we get later on into the into my my sermon tonight. I've actually wrestled with that as well too, um, just some parts of my life. Uh, But the reality of it is, is this: is that look, we we all know that there's illnesses there's broken relationships, there's abuse, there's death, there's there's crime, there's heartache, there's all of these things that take place in life. And, And guys, here's the reality. We always ask the question most of the time. This is what we do. We ask, why? Why God? Why is this happening to me? My parents divorced when I was 15 years old. I didn't really even know enough about God at that time to even ask and cry out to say, why, God, I was just ticked at the world for a little while. I wasn't far enough along in my relationship to even think to to ask him those questions. But this is what we do. We ask ourselves, why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why now? Um, We've talked about this before. I think sometimes as Christians, instead of asking why, it may behoove us to ask the question of what? What is it, God, that you want me to learn through this situation? And, and I promise, at 42 years old, uh, married for 190 years, I'm sorry, 18 years this past Monday. Um, so after being married for 18 years, um, you, you ask a lot of why questions. You know, you, you go through a lot of situations in life. Uh, some of those things you do together. So, and, I, and I know that if you're a sixth grader in here versus if you're a twelfth grader in here, a college person in here, someone that's started in the workforce, you've graduated college, uh, it, it, you know, if, if you're much older than I am in the room, there's a whole gamut of places that we've been in life to where some of you guys are going to see this from a, hear this and say, okay, I can prepare for life with this. But the reality of it is a lot of you guys in this room are going to say, I'm currently going through these things in life. So wherever you are, um, we, we, we know that a lot of times we ask the question of why. And guys, here's the thing. This is not a new thing at all. Here's the tr- here, here, let me give you a little secret. If, if, if you read the Old Testament and you see humanity, Adam and Eve, and the, the creation of mankind, there's one thing that you will start to learn and see and understand is that we hadn't changed much since we were created. So the things that we struggle with and we ask now, those are the same things that that the first people struggled with too. Why? How do I know this? Job asked the question of why. We'll talk about Job in a few minutes. Remember, he was surrounded by those great friends that gave such poor advice. Um, But he asked the question of why. He doubted God as well too. A lot of the Old Testament writers, the Psalms, Uh, people there's so many people in the old testament that we see that ask the question of why so it's it's not just a it's not just a new thing it's something that's happened in the past as well too but do we still have people that ask that same thing now yes let's look at the 20th century now some of these things have happened before my lifetime and before your lifetime have we had suffering and things of the 20th century yes our country has watched two world wars take place our country has seen the Holocaust take place over in Nazi Germany around World War II. Our country has seen mass genocides that have gone on in the Soviet Union, in China, in Africa. We, we've watched famines that have taken place in Africa. We've watched floods take place, earthquakes, tsunamis, We've seen all of these things in the 20th century. In the 20th century, here's another thing that happened. We didn't really know what was going on at the time. In the early 80s, there was this disease that came up and it started killing people. Today, we know that disease as AIDS. But I remember when the AIDS virus, not the AIDS, when AIDS first came out, we were scared to death. We didn't know how you got it. We had the opportunities even when I was your age, to ask the question of why. All right, well, let's look at your lifetime. Those of you 21st century kiddos that are in here, what's happened in the 21st century? I don't know, something that we're going to remember this coming Sunday? Fifteen years ago, we had 9-11. That's the first time since Pearl Harbor that an act of war has taken place in your country. 9-11. Some of you guys weren't even born then, or you might have been two. I think Gabrielle was two. Weren't we talking about that the other day? So we have 9-11 that's taken place. Now we've got the slaughter of Syrians that's taken place. We have ISIS that's going on. We have all of these refugees out there called Syrians that we have no idea what to do with. We're closing our border, not letting them in. Other countries are closing their border. We have stuff that's still going on in our country that we ask, Why? So, this is what I want to do tonight. I want you to realize that there are some horrific things that go on, and we're going to look at some of these things as well, too. But I know this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if if you're a Bible stud, you're already thinking, like, what the heck does the love chapter have to do with this? And I'll be honest with you, I wondered that myself, too, when I started looking at this. But in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what it says in verse 12. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... We will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That verse is talking about in the days after our death. What we now know in in part, one day we will know in full. So, the question of why, why does God allow suffering? Let me give you the only 100% honest answer that I can give you. Here it is. I do not know. That's what people have been waiting to hear. I've had people that don't even go to our church. I've had people that are waiting on the podcast of this sermon to come out because they have people that are in college or people that have moved away that are suffering right now that they're waiting to hear how Ryan or myself went through this text and talks about why does a good God allow suffering, my only 100% honest answer is this, I do not know. I can't even fathom to know the full mind of God. But I do think that we can know enough things to where we can get a good grasp on these things as well too. Um, this passage of Scripture is saying that right now what we see that's kind of foggy, one day we'll see with clarity. But for moving forward, I, I want to give us some, some topics, some things that we can, we can start to look at when it comes to, to God, to suffering, to evil, sin, how do all these things fit together. Um, if you're taking notes, this may be a good time to start writing some stuff down here with this. My first point is this, is that God is not... And if you're taking notes or if you're, if you're listening to this on a podcast, God is not, with that word not underlined, not the creator of evil and suffering. And here, here it comes. I'm ready. This is one of the most controversial things in Scripture because there are so many people that say, why did God create Satan? Why did God allow these things? Because if God is the all-powerful, we're talking about apples and oranges, And I'll open that up here in a second. So I just, I want you to know this. If you're listening on a podcast or if you're here in this room with us right now, email me. Let's start the dialogue. I promise that if we have a healthy, good conversation about this, we both will be deeper in our faith. But I'm pretty sure that I have scripture on my side that's going to back this up. Let's take a look at this. Why? Why? Did God allow stuff to come into the world? My first point is this is that God is not the creator of evil or suffering. That's the question we get asked a lot. But here's the other question that so many people ask me, and this is it. They say, Bob, why did God not create a world without evil and suffering? Have you ever wondered that? Raise your hand if you've ever thought that. If you've ever thought, why in the world did God not create a world that was without evil and without suffering? Here's the thing He did. That's the creation that God created. The world that God created was one without evil and without suffering. So when we ask that question, the answer is 100%, emphatically, God did. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. After God had created, it says that God saw all that he had made, and it was horrible that he had to flood the whole earth and start all over again. Is that what Scripture says? No. What does it say? It says that God saw his creation, all that he created, and God said it is good. Not bad. Good. I love this. I've got a pastor friend of mine that um, he tells me that sometimes people at his church will ask him, like, hey, Pastor so-and-so, how are you doing today? I'm good. Just good? Why not better? And he says, "Hey, let let me be honest with you. When God created the world, he saw and said that it was good. If good is good enough for God, good is good enough for me. See, we want to make things better. But the reality of it is, is that God is enough. God has created the world that is good, and he's not the creator of evil and suffering. Here's some other passages of Scripture that will fill this up on this. Uh, James 1, chapter 13 says this, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Also, in 1 John 1 and 5, it says this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And lastly, in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, it says this, is that God is not the author of confusion. So taking all of those things into account, if you believe the word of God, now, do you start to see the logic of what we did the past two weeks? I told you, we're going to put some heavy stuff on top of this word. If this is our base, I need to know that this is solid, that if I go to this thing for questions and it tells me something, I better take it and believe it as, no pun intended, the gospel. That's why Ryan and I spent the last two weeks thoroughly explaining that the reliability of Scripture, that Scripture is something that you can stand on, because we, tonight, are about to stand on this thing. And man, i tell you what, some people right now in our community, they're hurting. I mean, we, we've had a, a 52-year-old lady that's passed away of cancer. I'm doing her funeral Friday, Sunday. Friday, I'm going to a 19-year-old guy's funeral, Colton Rood, that died, died this past weekend on a motorcycle wreck. People hurt. Friends, if you're going to stand on this, you've got to know that it's real. We've done that. So, all of that to say that if I see those passages of Scripture, and, and I believe those because I believe the Word of God, then I have to conclude by logic and reason is that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. All right. So, let me ask you this, and I want to hear from you. Where does evil come from then? Where? Man. Okay. We're there. Somebody else, help us, help us open that up. Why does it come from Man. Okay, we can say Satan. Go ahead. That's part of mankind, woman. Absolutely. And, and let's, let's do this. Let me throw some ground rules out for you because I knew that was going to come For tonight, sin, suffering, evil. We're flying over at 30,000 feet. Let's just all agree that I'm talking about the same thing when I say sin, suffering, and evil. So they come from man. How does it come from man? What's that? Free will. Okay, we're starting to have real conversations. How does sin, evil, and suffering come from a man or, or mankind that has free will? How does it? They were, tempted. they were tempted. And in free will, you have a what? Starts with a C, rhymes with always choice. For those of you that just moved up, we have tests, but they're really easy. I'll usually give the answer. It sounds like gospel... So it's gospel. Good, good. Thank you for answering in there. <laughs> there, Brewer. Uh, all right. So where does evil come from? All right? So from man, here's the, here's the jam. I don't know how long God has well, let me back that up. God has always been and always will. Guys, if that's hard for you to grasp and put around your mind, welcome to the club. Because we can't even fathom the concept that God has always been. There's never been a beginning, and there never will be an end. But one day, God decided that he wanted to create man. Now, that was the beginning of our time. Okay? God's always existed. Our time has been kind of started recording around that time-ish. We don't really know the exact date of the creation but when mankind came onto the picture, we have a calendar system. So that's how we know time. All right? So God created man. He wanted fellowship. He wanted community. He wanted them to worship him. He wanted them to love him. So in the creation of mankind, God gave man a choice. Because... Lee Strobel is a guy that I read and got some things from. He's one of many people that I read to prepare for this. Lee Strobel, in one of his talks, uh, Lee Strobel is an apologist, uh, apologetic defense for your belief, um, all those things. Um, he says that when, he was, when his daughter was young, so about my age, but just much younger, um, they used to have these, these dolls. My sister had a doll. You'd pull a string on the back, and it would spit out this, this, this saying, Lee Strobel's daughter had a doll that when you pulled her string it was a, I love you you pull the string I love you you pull the string and it says what uh, right awesome and you pull the string again and it says what nothing because dad is thrown out the door by this time but my point is this is that does that doll really love that girl but it's what it's saying the whole time But see it doesn't have any choice there's no free will that doll is not saying that out of its own freedom it's recorded it's made to say that that's not what God wanted for us God wanted humanity that would love him and honor him and worship him. The only way, the only way that you can get that is to give them a choice. Now, my wife trains horses. She's somewhere right there. Uh, My wife trains horses, and, you know, uh, there's a guy, Lyons. What's his name? John Lyons is a guy that, that we started reading a lot about. You know, there's this whole thought of breaking horses, you know, and cowboys have been doing this for years. I mean, they really will kind of put horses in submission hold or beat them down and stuff to where the horse will finally, they'll break the horse. And the horse will do exactly what you tell it to do. Hey, you know what? We did that to people. You know what it was called? Slavery. That's not funny. That was horrible. We beat people down because we wanted them to do exactly what we said right then. Now... Does that horse or does someone that's indentured or a slave, do they love their master? No, because they're being forced to do something. John Lyons has a different tactic. You you never, ever lay your hand on your horse unless it tries to bite you. I mean, that's a whole other story. And then for seven seconds, you literally can beat the crap out of your horse. 100%. You just don't ever touch it in the face. We had one horse, Cheyenne, that tried to bite me one time. I punched and kicked that horse for seven seconds. You know what he never did? Never. (laughs) He never opened his mouth towards me again. But his training method was one of a trusting relationship that you have with your animal. Guys, when you, why did I talk about slavery? Because when you grow up and you become bosses, if you keep your thumb on people and push them down, they'll do what you tell them to do only when you're around. But the moment that you leave the scene, they'll turn their back on you like that because they hate you. But if you treat people with the utmost respect and you see people as invaluable creations from your Almighty and you treat them with that, no matter their race, their creed, their religion, their cultural upbringing, their social status, no matter what they are in life, if you treat everyone as someone that's invaluable, people will love and respect you. So God wanted us to love and respect Him. He gave us free will. And guess what we did with it? We turned from God. Satan was used in that Yes, J.C., mankind did turn from God. When mankind turned from God, the byproduct of that is evil and sin, which causes suffering. Now, if you don't believe mine, listen to what somebody much smarter than me says about this. John MacArthur from his website, Grace to You, says this. Now, this is deep, but it is so good. It is helpful, I think, to understand that sin is, is not itself a created thing. Sin is neither substance, being, spirit, nor matter. So it is technically not proper to think of sin as something that was created. Sin is simply a lack of moral perfection in a fallen creature. Fallen creatures themselves bear full responsibility for the sin, and all evil in the universe emanates from the sins of the fallen creatures. So, Turning from God was a byproduct, and the the, the byproduct of that was sin. That is where sin came from. Did God create that? No. Now, we can talk very deeply about does God rule over evil? Does he rule over sin 100% of the time? Does God allow suffering to take place in people's lives sometimes? Yes. But God is never the person that causes the suffering in their life at all. Excuse me, I'll show you that in just a moment. All right, so, so we know that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Second point is this. Suffering's not good at all, but God can use it for good. Because God can use anything to accomplish good. What does Romans 8.28 say? You guys know it by heart? Maybe? All right, well, let's read it. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let me read that one more time. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let me tell you what this verse does not say. This verse does not say that God is the one that causes the evil and the suffering. This verse doesn't say that, you know, we're gonna see the immediate results. You know, because a lot of times, as Christians, as we get older, this is kind of one of those promises in Scripture that we hold on to. We say, man, things are sucking right now. I know, but I know that God is going to use this for good, and I'm going to wait because I want to see what good God pulls from this. God never promises that. It may be hundreds of years that go by that that one single event that happens in our life, God allowed and caused us to go, not caused us, but allowed us to go through this suffering so that 100, 200 years down the road, somebody else could be the beneficiary of that. That's the reality. You're like, man, 200 years, how come? Newsflash. Guys, God is not trapped in the confines of time. A thousand years to God can seem like a day because he is outside of time. We are the ones walking through this thing called time. So we may not see that in our life. So what does that verse say? It says that, hey, good can come out of suffering. Now, two places that we're going to go to in Scripture for this really quickly. Where's one person that you know of that good came from his suffering, the suffering person that suffered for no reason, it's in the Old Testament, Job, absolutely. Look at what takes place in Job chapter 1. If you want to flip there, you can, or you can just listen, because I'll be reading by the time you start flipping. Chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, now there was a day when the sons of God, angels, came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan, or more correctly, the Hebrew word means adversary, and Satan, the adversary, also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered, and, and the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Aren't you glad that God just kind of threw Job out there? Hey, awesome, you're the evil, you're the deceiver. You're the adversary. Awesome. You're good. You're right here before me. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? Listen to way he says. Have you considered my servant Job? That is, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said this, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge, that hedge of protection that we Christians call, a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possession have increased in the land. But stretch out, this is, what, this is what Satan says. He tells God, he challenges God, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. This is what the Lord said to Satan. Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Who is the one that caused the suffering for Job. Satan. Notice Satan told God, hey God, you do this. If you do this, this is what he's going to do. He says, no, 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 no. (laughs) i tell you what, you have free reign, but don't touch him. Now we know later on he was able to touch him. He could do what he wanted to. He couldn't kill him. There was more, a couple more of these scenes that took place. So this is one of those places in scripture that proves my first point. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. God does not put people directly through suffering. Now, did Satan come to God and ask permission? Absolutely. Because if God was not over everything, would he still be God? If you're not shaking your head no, then you're incorrect. Because anything that is above God is what? Greater than God. So if God cannot control evil and suffering and conquer sin, then he's not God. And we'll talk about that in a moment, too. But for this point, I want you to realize that there is suffering that is taking place. Now, was Job disobedient? Was God mad at Job? No, not at all. I think most of you guys talked about this in your Sunday school class a few weeks ago. Job did nothing wrong. God was not punishing him. As a matter of fact... It's almost like that was God's star player in the game. Hey, I I need your best guy. Because I think we can conquer him and God's like, yeah, you think so? Have you considered my servant Job? He's my star boy. You do what you want to him and he will not turn from me. Now, did he doubt? Yes. We read all of Job and we see that he sat, he doubted. He had a pity party to a certain degree. He was getting nagged at by three friends all the time. Yeah, yeah, hey, it's your fault. You've sinned. You've done this wrong. And then finally, Elihu comes and makes sense of everything that happens. Now, the reason I got into this is because I said that sometimes suffering, God can use for good. What's the good that came from this? At one point, and we have to look all the way towards the back of his book of Job, you know, that for, the fir- for the first part, about the first 37 chapters, it's just Job complaining, his three friends that are giving him poor advice. Um, chapter 37, I think, is when Elihu, no, it's like 34, uh, 33, 34, is when Elihu comes on the scene and starts making sense of things and saying, look, hey, you guys are talking wrong about God. God is this. He's not these things. And then Job continues. And then God answers. See, a lot of times we ask this question. God, tell me. I want to know why such and such is going on. Listen to what he told Job. The Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said this, Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. God's like, you want answers? Buddy, you better stand up, get dressed, and hold on. Because, well, there's a movie about this. You can't handle the answers I'm about to give you. You can't handle the truth. There we go. There's my movie buffs. You can't handle what I'm about to say to you. And he goes on, and he asks Job, Job, tell me something, buddy. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I stretched out the sky? Did you measure and tell me how, to, how far to put it? God basically says this, I don't owe you a thing because who are you to question me? The suffering calls good because when he finally heard the whole explanation, this is Job's response. Then Job answered the Lord and said this, Behold, I am am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I want an answer twice, but I will not proceed. What does that look like in life? When Bob has a pity party, occasionally, doesn't happen too often... But occasionally I'll have a pity party. In the middle of my pity party, God will show me somebody that they have real problems in life. And it's almost like God is slapping me across the face, like, "But really? You're complaining? You have a wife that loves you, a daughter that still drinks a little because she thinks you're cool. She doesn't drink. She doesn't kill her. Um, and for those of you punks that are hanging around her, I'll kill you too. Uh, and I'm just showing. <laughs> but if you got that on, on podcast, then good, awesome. Um, but, you know, a daughter that still thinks I'm pretty cool and likes me. I, I'm at a church that I love. I have a healthy family. We aren't the richest people in the world. But, you know, usually kind of things that we want, we're like, hey, man, let's buy it. Because we don't really want for much because we don't have expensive tastes. So God's like, tell me where life is so bad for you because, Bob, you've been to Kenya. Life's not, we got life a lot better than they do, don't we? And they are the happiest people that you will see. So how did the suffering produce good for Job? Because Job saw God in a whole new light. One other place that we see that, Suffering was used for good is Joseph. We're going to talk about that in a moment, too. Quit reading my notes. Joseph. Joseph, not the stepfather of Jesus, but Joseph, the son of Jacob slash Israel, one of the twelve patriarchs of the, of the nation of Israel. They're called Israel. Why? Because that's what dad changed his name to from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel. And so that's where the nation of Israel comes from. And there are 12 kids from that. There are the 12 patriarchs, the 12 tribes. He is one of those tribes. Joseph, you know, he was sold into slavery. Let me give you the Cliff Notes version because I've got a couple more things I want us to get to before we close this thing down. Cliff Notes version is this. You know that he was sold into slavery by his brothers. They did not kill him because one brother wanted to save his life. He was his... He was his beneficiary, like, uh, not, I mean, um, uh, savior. So he didn't kill him. They sold him to Egypt. Um, Egypt, well, in around about way, he got to Egypt. He's enslaved in house arrest to the captain of the guard's home, Potiphar. Potiphar's wife, she's a loose living lady, if you know what I mean. She liked him. He was in her targets. She was like, I want him. I'm taking him. And if, even if he says no, he kept saying no. She grabbed a hold of his clothing. He ran out the door. He's not naked, we're keeping this PG, but he probably lost the shirt in this whole thing. Well, she's like, oh, I've got him. Hey, sweetheart, look what your servant did. He tried to, he tried to force himself on me, and I have his shirt. Potiphar does what most men would do. He gets really angry, and he throws him in a deeper prison. Uh, and so and then in that prison, he is still interpreting dreams. God is still using him because this whole time, Joseph chose, and that's the big word, He chose the attitude that he wanted to have in spite of his circumstances of life. But he interpreted dreams. He finally eventually made it to second in command of all of Egypt. Now, why is that important? Because the suffering led to a point that there was a famine in the land uh, for seven years. But remember, seven years before the famine, there was plenty. So Joseph came up with this brilliant idea of how to get Egypt through the famine for them to make a lot of money. And trust me, if you go to your boss and say, I've got a great idea and you're going to make a ton of money, he's going to say, Won't you sit down and tell me this? <laughs> so, this is what happened. So, he's like, Bro, you're a stud. You're the second in charge. You are over everything in this land except for me. So, in that, he was able to save his whole family because during the famine, they came to them. Now, let me give you Joseph's exact words. His whole family was rescued. Uh, They came there in the land. Joseph was able to protect them. The nation of Israel, which is God's chosen people, came and were protected. Israel dies. Dad dies. The other brothers are like, whoops. We're thinking he's probably going to take out revenge at this point. He doesn't. This is what he says. Joseph, this is in Genesis 50, verse 19, if you want to jot that down. But Joseph said this to them, Do not fear, for am I in place of God? Remember, he was afraid they were going to kill him. Am I in place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The suffering was used for good. So, how do we suffer today Alright, who's on my Evernote here? Hold on. We're gonna suffer if I can't figure out how to get back on this. Somebody on my are you signed into my Evernote? Don't look at her. Why are you looking at her? Look at me. I'm just joking. Alright, let me go through this. I know the rest of it. My notes are dead. Somebody's on my device. Alright, so here, here's the jam. Why is it? Well, suffering does three things for us. How do we see suffering today? Alright. Suffering is brings out compassion. We see compassion in action through suffering. That's a good from suffering. What do I mean? What's going on down in Baton Rouge right now? Floods. Right now, you have doctors, nurses, the Red Cross. um, um, Other humanitarian efforts are taking place down there. You have churches and people that are going down there. They're working together for the greater good. That my friends, is compassion in action. Also, suffering brings about unity. How does it bring about unity? Let's be real. We are looking at, unfortunately, two deaths in our community right now. A 52-year-old woman and a 19-year-old. I can say this from 100% experience. I'll tell you from my point of view. When my dad passed away, uh, right before we were coming up here, how does suffering bring about unity? Well, all of my family came together, and we mourned, we laughed, we we, we thought back, and we remembered all the good things about dad. That came through suffering. I got to have some really good, solid memories with some family members that I have not seen in a long time and seen since his death. All that came through suffering. But also, suffering uh, leads to some other things as well, too. Suffering is one of those things that, for us, it can lead to greater things as well. And yes, you're exactly right, Eli. The greatest suffering that we saw in the whole world was Jesus on the cross. Um, that is the greatest, not greatest as in, like, awesome, the greatest, biggest known thing that we have was that he allowed suffering to take place um, in this. And hallelujah, I got a no, no notes back. And We got 30 more minutes. I'm just joking, we don't. Um, um, but we have, we have the, 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 that tragedy led to the opening of heaven for everything. The one thing I couldn't think about was this, is that lastly, suffering holds a message of comfort. What do I mean by that? Because every one of you, probably at some point, if not, you will, go through some tragedy in life. I don't know what that tragedy is going to look like. When you see others suffer and they go through the same tragedy that you've gone through, you have a oneness with them. I'll be very transparent with you for a moment, and I hope they're okay with this. I've not asked the rude family if this is okay. If they're not okay, tell them to email me and I'll apologize. This past Saturday, I got a call uh, from a, a person in the community. Uh, Colton's sister was sitting in the ditch where, where he had passed away. Marissa? Yeah, Marissa was sitting in the dish. She's, she's all alone. Can, can you go? You're, you're only like 30 seconds away. by vehicle, can you go? So I, gr- I grabbed Suzanne. We, 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 we got in the truck, and we headed there. Now, when I got there, uh, I think Mom was pulling it up, and somebody else was sitting there with her as well, too. I've, I've not said this to my girls, but as I pulled up, And I saw this girl sitting in the ditch. I was like, I've been there. Physically. I've sat in the ditch where my dad passed away. Because I was trying to grab hold of answers. And I knew that in that time, I didn't didn't want to talk to anybody. So I kept going. And I turned around. And I came back. I had oneness with her because I've been there. I literally have sat in the ditch of life. Suffering has allowed that to happen. So realize this. Suffering is not bad. We have two choices. This is my last point. When we suffer, we can either let it make us, and somebody in the room is going to say, Oh, my gosh, I hear that all the time. When there's a crisis, when we suffer, we can either let it make us bitter or we can let it make us better. Better in what way? Bitter because I run from God or better because I run towards God. Saturday was a unique day for me. I spent some time in my office for for a few hours sitting with a teenager in our community that's going through some rough, rough stuff right now, really rough as a matter of fact, I got a call, and they said, hey, I've got so-and-so. Can you come to your office, and we'll meet you there? And I said, absolutely. It's what I do. So I came, and I sat, and I listened to this person's story. And in the story, this person told me, they said, but you know what? In this, I've gotten closer to God because I see that I'm opening up the Scriptures. But my, one person in my family is not doing that. They're running from God. Suffering causes oneness. My mother passed away when I was 18 years old. I was not a Christian. I was very bitter. A matter of fact, I ran from God. So much so that I spent about a three and a half year journey away from God to where I was, I was mad. I made a lot, of, a lot of poor choices in those three years. Things that I will never share with you. Because you won't see me the same. But I ran from God. So I know what it's like to be better. But I promise, when my dad passed away as a Christian, and I was a Christian, I went to God, and that's where I found peace, and I found courage. Too totally. Different things. We're going to wrap this up. This is what I want to do. Grab an adult. Come pray. Do whatever it is that God needs for you to do tonight. Because this is what I want you to do when you walk out of this room. Realize a couple of things. One, you will suffer in life. Jesus told us, they hated me, they're going to hate you. We're going to suffer as followers of Jesus Please walk out of here with this understanding. God loves you. And it don't turn your back on Him in this suffering. Much like the little girl that's two years old that has to have surgery because it'll save her life. She doesn't understand maybe why mom and dad are putting her through the surgery, having to have all the needles stuck in her. All of being cut open or whatever the case is, she or he does not understand that. Much like a lot of times we don't understand why God will allow us to go through certain things. But I promise you, it is always for the greater good. So I'm going to have Ben come up. He's going to strum a few chords for us here. Um, It's almost 8 o'clock. Just going to be really transparent with you. Do this. Realize that you don't have to walk out of this room feeling, I heard it this weekend, feeling like you are 100% alone. You don't. You're not alone. The things that you're going through in life right now, if we believe Scripture, we believe that other people in this world have gone through these things as well too. Come talk to somebody. Go home tonight. Get in your bed. Let the tears flow if that's what you need to do and get your phone out and text me. Call me. like Instant message me on um, Twitter or I think you can do that on Instagram too. Facebook is, is the worst way to try to get in touch with me because you may not. Just being real. Here, here's I'm going to say something really it's going to blow your mind. The best way that you can get in touch with me. Are you ready? You can call me. Oh my gosh, we could have a conversation. I know that is culturally not relevant to you guys, but you know, we do those things. Because I promise, I heard somebody that in my office say this, this weekend, this person said, "I feel so much better because I have simply shared" What it is that is causing me to suffer. How are you? If you're listening on podcast, how are you? Do you need to call us? Do you need to email us? Do that.